Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Hey, happy Father's Day. We're going to look at a really old dad. Well, a dad who lived a long time ago probably more than 4,000 years ago. We're going to look in the book of Job in just a moment. And the book of Job includes two of the most bizarre scenes in all of Scripture. Uh, It shows a conversation between God and Satan. And in part of that conversation, it's like God says, I think you should check out Job, man. And Satan says, all right, but you protect him too much. So God says, all right, you can have at it. And, and God allows him to basically destroy Job's life. But he can't touch Job. And then Satan comes back and God says, see, Job was faithful. And uh, Satan says, yeah, but let me mess with his life, his health, and then he'll curse you. And uh, so it's a weird dialogue going on between God and Satan. And it messes with our heads a little bit when we read it. And, and then later on in the book, Job spends some time arguing with his friends, and then he spends some time arguing with God or advocating his position. His so-called friends were so sure that Job had sinned, and that's why he had these problems. Let me tell you, not every problem on earth is caused by sin. Sin makes every problem worse, but not every problem is caused by sin. Sometimes God allows you to have a health problem so that he can put you in a place where you can witness or minister to somebody else that you would have never met if you hadn't had that health problem. But Job's friends didn't have that concept. They were sure that if you lived right, God would bless you. And there's a lot of people today who have that misunderstanding. Yes, God will bless you, but he also allows you to go through hard times. You just don't go through them alone. He goes through them with you. And, and so Job finally talks to God and God says, all right, Job, I'm going to give you an answer. And in his answer, he doesn't explain why. His answer is, dude, I'm in charge, not you. I rule. You answer to me. I don't answer to you. And, and he explains the creation and all the things that he did by his divine power. And he reminds Job that Job's job is to just trust and endure. So the lessons that we get, three big truths out of the book of Job. Number one is that God is sovereign over all the circumstances of life on earth. He rules. He's sovereign. He has absolute authority over all the circumstances of life on earth. Now that includes the activities of those who would destroy you. Uh, Twice in my life, I've had somebody try and destroy me. The first time he said he was going to kill me and uh, God preserved me and protected me from that. Another time, somebody said they were going to destroy me and I'm still here and he's not. And uh, God blesses and gets you through the difficult times but God is in charge. So when you have a problem, don't ask God to explain why. Just ask him maybe to explain what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? Not why, 
He doesn't answer to us. Second truth is that Satan is limited by God. Satan says, well, yeah, Job trusts you because I try and get to him and you won't let me. God built a hedge around Job and, and so Job could, Satan couldn't get in to mess with him. And the third truth is that in this life, we will never fully understand all the things that God allows on planet Earth. In this life, I'm not sure we'll fully understand it in the life to come, but I'm pretty certain we won't care about it anymore in the life to come. Uh, but as recorded by the great prophet Isaiah, God said, my ways are higher as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So when we come to Job this morning, I don't want to look through all the theological implications of the suffering of Job or the allowance of God to allow Satan to wreak havoc in Job's life and cause many people to die. What I want to focus on, because it's Father's Day, is the fact that perhaps the greatest dad of all time is a man named Job. Now, how many of you guys have ever done this with your kids? Hanging on your shoulder. and Now, some of the kids, you put them on the shoulder, they want to hold on really tight. You know, wrap their face around your glasses so you can't see where you're walking. And uh, But others, they just want to free float like uh, that. Do you ever picture Job doing this with his kids when they were little? You know, it could have happened. And so we're going to look at Job and we're going to start out in chapter one and verse number one. Later, we're going to look at a couple other chapters in the book of Job, but starting out with chapter one and verse number one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Now, God inspired these words to be written. So later on in the book of Job, when you read about his friends and they're all fussing at Job saying, Job, you need to repent so God can bring deliverance. Job, you need to admit the sin that you did. And Job would say, I'm not aware of sin. I was repentant. I was walking with God. I don't know why this happened. And they would argue with him. You're deceiving yourself. God said, Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Now, I want to think about what that says, and we'll read a little bit more in just a moment. But the first thing I want you to see is that Job was a man. He was a man. See, at our last men's activity, we talked about the difference between being a male and being a man. And Job was a man in the flesh. He was also a man in the spirit. You can be male and not be manly, but Job was both. He was a man. He was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He had the manliness that comes from the inside. And the Bible says that's the real strength of a man. It's not his physical strength. It's his strength of character that marks a man as a godly man or as a good man. And so Job was a man. But it also says that he was an honorable man. He was an honorable man. So he was blameless. He had the wholeness of integrity and character. Integrity means when things fit together. Like uh, you drive a car and if the engine has integrity, every part's working right. 
If it doesn't, then one of the cylinders is misfiring. It makes a lot of noise and it doesn't run very well. And so integrity, uh, we just had the musicians playing and we had people singing and you know that integrity is when it all fits together so that the people up here singing and the people playing the instruments and they're all playing the same song in the same key at the same time sticking together in rhythm and melody and harmony so that it all works together. That's one of the reasons why some other folks aren't up here singing. <laughs> it has to all fit together to have that integrity. In your body, if one part of your body is messed up, like this part, you have problems that really bother you and harass, but stub your toe. And you're not, most of the time, you don't even think about your big toe, right? Yeah, well, I hope not. You're not sitting there, man, I have beautiful toes, you know? Um, I, but most of the time, you don't, you're not even, you know they're there, but you don't think about them. But you mash that toe, and suddenly you're very aware of it. You have to have that integrity of your body. And Job was that honorable man, he was blameless. He was upright, the scripture says. That means he followed the laws. He was a man of morality and a man of valor. He did what was right, even when doing right wasn't very convenient. He did what was right. And, and so he also feared God, it says. That's a, a reverential awe of who God is. And uh, we're all afraid of something, right? Uh, some people are afraid of looking or sounding funny. They're, they're really worried about that. Uh, I know somebody who, they, they, when, when we were in high school, I mean, what happens to kids in high school on their faces? Right? It's acne. There's other words for it, but that's the polite word. They have acne. And, and I, there were girls in our youth group who wouldn't come to church if they had acne showing up on their faces because they didn't want to look funny. They were afraid of that. Some people are afraid of not being very fashionable. Some are afraid of the dark. Some are afraid of loud noises. Every time I talk about that, I'm really tempted to suddenly yell really loud and see who was afraid of loud noises, but I won't. Um, some people are even afraid of looking too spiritual. They don't want to be too spiritual. You know, I want to go to church, but I don't want to really carry a Bible with me. And, and I don't want to talk about God much in my conversations because then people will think I'm kind of a Jesus nut. And Job had a fear. His fear was displeasing God. He was afraid to displease God. A man who feared God. And then it says he shunned evil. So there were certain things that he would avoid. Now, there seems to be more evil in our culture today than there was in the days of Job. I don't think there's more evil. I just think it's more visible and it's more readily available. You used to have to work at it to find some of the things that were a mess. Now it's, it's on the news. It's, it's on your computer. It's everywhere. And so he, he would intentionally turn away from that. So that, uh, you know, when, when uh, we were walking down the street in uh, Las Vegas once, 
I, I don't remember how old our kids were, but Kathy and I were there in Las Vegas when we were walking down the street. It was a cheap motel uh, to stay there because they count on you gambling and drinking a lot of alcohol, neither of which we did. So uh, we could stay in a hotel pretty cheaply. And as we were walking down the street, there were people handing out flyers to people. And and on those flyers, there were lewd pictures and they were trying to drum up business. And I was there with my wife and kids and nobody gave us one of those flyers. We were turning away from that sort of thing. And and the, we, we weren't interested. And Job was turning away from all sorts of evil, but there was a positive thing too. He said yes to God. See, it, back in verse number one, he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. So he was at the same time turning away from evil and turning toward God. He made wise choices in both directions. His yes was to God. His no was to the other things that would draw him away from God. A win-win. Now, when I was in the Marine Corps and I, we were preparing to get married, um, one of my friends said, oh man, you need to talk to Sergeant so-and-so. He's been married five times. He knows all about being married. And I said, I don't want to learn what he has to say. I want to talk to the guy who got married and stuck with it, Who's, who kept married, stayed married. Uh, I mean, that guy knew a lot about getting married, but he didn't know much about being married. That's why he was divorced so many times. I wanted to learn from a man who knew how to make it work for a lifetime. And Job was a man who chose to follow God, not the attractions of this world. Now, we see that over and over in Scripture. There's lots of people, but in Hebrews 11, it really describes Moses that way. A man who chose to suffer affliction with the people of God instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Well, that's the kind of guy Job was too. Look in verse 2. Then He had seven sons and three daughters that were born to him, and uh, also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So uh, here's some things. He was a dad. These are just really quick little things showed up in this scripture. He was a dad. He had seven sons and three daughters. Often in the scripture, they mention at least the firstborn son. It doesn't mention any of Job's kids by name here. Later in the book, it mentions three of them by name, but it's the girls, not the boys that get mentioned. So, Uh, some men are responsible for the birth of a child, but then they refuse to show any responsibility to help raise the child. In fact, it's epidemic in our country. But Job provided for the kids that God brought into his life. He provided and cared for them and interceded for them on God's behalf, as we'll see in a little bit. He also had wealth and influence. Now, <laughs> I, I just try to picture this, you know, uh, say uh, one of the dads in here who has uh, girls that are hoping to get married someday, and they come to dad and say, dad, I want to marry this guy. 
And dad says, well, okay, well, what's he like? Does he know the Lord? Yeah, he knows the Lord. He loves the Lord. Is, is he able to provide for you? And they say, yeah, he has 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys. And the dad would say, what kind of guy are you going to marry? Where are you going to live, you know? But, but see, in their culture, this was a sign of wealth. In our culture, it might be owning stock portfolio or having a bank account or, uh, or something like that. Owning a home, it mentions his home here. Uh, those are things that uh, resonate in our culture. But in their culture, an agriculture-based culture, in, in agriculture, this was a sign of extreme wealth to have this much stuff. Now, what kind of guy was Job by God's description? Good guy or bad guy? Selfish guy or generous guy? Yet he was wealthy. You know what they say in our culture? If you're wealthy, you should share with everybody. Job, that's not God's plan, by the way. God says everybody should be rewarded for their own labor. You shouldn't be, people who don't want to work shouldn't benefit from people who do want to work. And, and I'm not saying that, I mean, I think it's wrong when a corporation pays the head of the corporation, you know, $5 million a year for his work and the company goes belly up and he still gets his benefits. And, and when we did the great bailout of corporations a few years ago, especially of the banking bailout, you know what the banks did with the money? They gave bonuses to their key leaders who were the very ones who put him in trouble in the first place. I'll step off my political rant for a moment. Let's get back to God's word, okay? So many men have wealth and influence. And women too. But some people are obsessed with getting more of both. Job was not. Many men with wealth and influence neglect their kids. It's a very common thing. In fact, um, it's, it's normal in a wealthy home you, that you live in a nanny uh, situation where the nanny spends more time with the kids than the parents do. That's a normal thing in wealthy culture, even in our country. Um, many men with wealth and influence drift away from God. They start trusting in themselves, becoming more self-sufficient. When we were in Texas, I wasn't pastoring there, but I was serving uh, at the church and helping, and I was a business manager and also a Bible teacher and preacher at my church. And uh, there was a guy in the church who came up to me and had a prayer concern. He, he and his wife, they were going to start this business, and they really wanted prayer that God would bless this business. And so I prayed with them, for them, and we and I'd check in with them. How's it going? Oh, man, it was flourishing. It was going great. Uh, they were doing really well. And then, then he missed church uh, fairly regularly. And I, I called him and I said, hey, what's going on? He said, well, you know, we're, we're so stressed all week long with the business. We're, it's so busy that, that we just don't have time to come to church. We need to go and rest. And so they bought a boat and went out to the lake to rest on Sunday because they could worship God there. Can you worship God out at the lake? Absolutely. 
Should you do it when God says you should be in church? No, you should be in church. So it's like one pastor said, the family told him, we're going to be gone over the weekend out camping. He said, great, we'll see you Sunday. Pastor, you didn't understand. We're going to be gone over the, great, we'll see you Sunday. He said, pastor, you don't get it. We won't be here Sunday. We'll be camping. Oh, you're going to miss the weekend and the week beginning. Sunday's the first day of the week. So, uh, but that guy allowed the wealth of his business to take him away from following God. They were no longer serving in church. They were no longer even attending church because they were so busy making money. One of the boys for a while, my wife and I were in charge of the boys dorm in Bible college. And one of the boys in the dorm got a great job while he was working through school. And he made tons of money. He dropped out of school, dropped out of his marriage and just went and made money. Job had wealth and influence, but he remembered that his wealth was a blessing from God. He never walked away from God. He sought to use the wealth wisely, and he never trusted it in his wealth, only in God. That's the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy. Trust those who are wealthy in the things of this world, not to trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God. Now, Job was also blessed that his adult kids had good relationships. Not everybody has that benefit. Kathy and I are, are rejoice many times that, that our adult kids enjoy each other. Uh, they enjoy hanging around with each other. A week ago, we were all here. It was kind of funny. We were all here on Saturday. And then on Sunday, uh, we were in five different cities in three different states. Everybody flew off on Saturday night or drove off on Saturday night. But Kathy and I remained faithful. We were still here. They were faithful too. They were just on their honeymoon. Uh, the others went home to where they lived, Washington, uh, Flagstaff. Uh, two of them live up there. One lives in the Detroit area. But, but look how Job's kids got along. In verse 4, his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day. They had regular times they would all get together. And so then they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so probably the kids are adult kids because they have their own homes. Now, in their culture, an adult kid could have been, you know, 15 to 18 and been out on his own in that day and in that age. But, uh, but, the, but they were adult kids. Were the girls younger and that's why they weren't there? You know, some cultures, they, they don't, the, the girls don't have their own place until they're married. In fact, in the United States even, in Western culture, even in the 70s, a woman couldn't own land in her own name or have a bank account in her own name. In the 1970s. And, and uh, in some places in the world, they still can't. A woman cannot own anything. They are either the property of their dad or the property of their husband. And that's it. If dad dies or husband dies, then the uncle or the brother of the husband takes over the authority over them. Uh, but Job wasn't that way. And so likely his sons were all adults. It doesn't say they were married, but in that culture it would be unusual if they weren't. So um, the girls could have still been living at home or sharing a home with one of the brothers and then all coming together when they got together. But they had a good relationship. 
And that's a real blessing. When your kids get along with each other and with you when they're adults, that's a blessing. That's one of the greatest blessings I feel in my life that my kids enjoy each other. And when they enjoy each other, they like to have me around because I wasn't always the best dad when they were young. I was kind of grumpy and gruff. And I've shared with you before where Nathan was a little kid and and I had yelled at him and scared him, and Jessica was his big sister, and she was comforting him. And I heard her say to Nathan, don't worry, Nathan, that's just your big, loud dad. You'll get used to it, but you're not going to like it. (laughs) And they didn't like it, but, you know, they're doing a better job than I did, and I praise the Lord for that. But here's a big, huge thing in Job's life. He was a man who pursued a relationship with God for himself and for his family. Look at verse 5. It says, So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. This was a normal thing. He was regularly interceding for his kids. A significant portion of this book talks about Job having dialogues with other people. But his biggest dialogue was pointing his kids to the Lord. He offered sacrifices for his kids like Abraham had done. And so many Bible scholars put the book of Job before the Exodus, before Moses, because the, the law established the priesthood and the sacrifices then became part of the priesthood. So Job lived before that. And there's something else later in the book that we'll look at that helps pinpoint the time period for the book of Job. So at this point, Matt, you're saying Job is like the ideal life. His wife is so fortunate to have such a wonderful husband to have enough money to do the things that they want to do, to be able to care for kids and potential grandkids. They're, they're just rejoicing. But everything changed in one day. Look down at verse 13. Job was a man who modeled what it meant to trust God completely as he goes through this trouble. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and a messenger, by the way, they weren't indulging in it. They they used wine to purify their water. Uh, We have water purification systems today. We don't need to use it, but they didn't have that in that day. And the Bible never encourages drinking. In fact, it warns against it, Uh, but it specifically prohibits drinking and indulging. So they weren't indulging. They were just enjoying a meal together. And then it says, a mess, verse 14, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now that's a lot of oxen and a lot of donkeys. So they would have had quite a few servants out there. All of his servants are killed. The donkeys and the oxen are taken away. And one guy lives to tell about it. Now, it gets worse. Um, Look in verse 16. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, 
the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, it wasn't the fire of God. God had allowed Satan to do that. And Satan brought that down. But they name everything. In our culture, on your insurance, it talks about acts of God. Well, you know, God's not the one trying to destroy things on planet Earth. Satan is. But they don't put acts of Satan on your insurance policy. They maybe should. All right, verse 17, while he was still speaking. So this is not like one day and then the next week and a month later. This is the exact same day and all this stuff is piling on Job. While he was still speaking, another came. The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking. This is a really bad day. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. That sounds like a tornado. If it's hitting all the corners of the house coming across this great wind and and the house fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So he's lost all of his possessions. Now he's lost all of his kids. If they were married, he's lost his sons-in-law or daughters-in-law. Uh, he's lost servants in every situation. Uh, and, and so how does Job respond? Well, it says, it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, on the screen, it says he was a man who modeled what it meant to trust God completely. Here's why. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Now, tearing the robe and shaving the head, that's how they showed their grief in that day. In our day, you wouldn't have to do that. You might do that, but that's what they did in that day and in that culture. But verse 21, here's what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. How did he do that? He lost his wealth. He lost everything, and in spite of all those losses, he chose to trust God completely. It reminds me of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be in the vines, or the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Job looked at God and said, God is enough. God doesn't have to bless me. God is enough. A couple of weeks ago, I, well, I don't remember exactly when, I, I mentioned a lady named Mary who developed the ministry of writing letters, right? Well, one day Mary got really concerned because she was specifically asking God to provide in a way for her and to help. And, and so she was really struggling. And, and then she was frustrated with God. And then she called me on the phone and she said, I am so stupid. 
Here I've been fretting and worrying that God doesn't love me. But look at the cross. Look what Jesus did. If God does nothing else for me, that's enough. That's how Job was. God is enough. He wasn't happy with these losses, especially not with his kids. He was interceding for them every day. Now, I want you to turn to another passage in Job, chapter 19. Job chapter 19. Job 19 and verse 25. Here's a testimony that Job gives. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. He said, I know there's going to come a Redeemer, because the prophets have told of it. The Scriptures tell of it. I know there's going to be a Redeemer, and I know that I will rise from the dead. Though after uh, the King James said, my skin worms destroy my body. After your body decays in the dust, you'll be raised again in the resurrection. Your body will be raised. Your soul and spirit will go be with the Lord. And then your body will be raised up at the end times. Job was a man of great faith and trust in God. Now turn to the end of the book. The last chapter of Job, 42. In Job 42, and I'm going to jump in in verse 12. You can find it and join me there. Job 42 and verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. All right, here's something. I want you to look at the screen, and I want you to read this, and I want you to get this in your head. He was a man who enjoyed the blessings of God that eventually come to all those who love and trust him. Now you notice I put eventually in a slightly different color. Eventually. Sometimes you won't see it in this life. John the Baptist didn't. Sometimes you won't see it in this life, but you will see it. God will bless and enrich and reward you forever if you will follow him. So look what it says how God did. The Lord blessed the end more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep. How many did he start with? 7,000. So twice as many of everyone. 6,000 camels. He used to have 500 yoke of oxen. Now he has 1,000. He used to have 1,000 female donkeys or 500. Now he has 1,000. But he also had seven sons and three daughters. Why didn't God give him more kids? Well, because your relationship with people lasts forever. He'll see those kids again if they were trusting God's uh, truth and, and putting their faith and trust in God's deliverance, then he would see them in heaven. But he had 10 more kids, seven sons and three daughters. And he named the first Jemima, the name of the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapak. These are the girls and in the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. So God restored Job. And, and I, you know, I mean, this sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. How many years did it take for that to happen? 
they didn't just instantly have 10 kids. Although uh, a year ago, May 4th, 2021, a mom in Morocco gave birth to five boys and four girls. I'm sorry, five girls and four boys. Nonuplets, they're called. And they're now one year and one month old. Um, I don't know, did, did Mrs. Job have uh, triplets and then twins and then triplets and twins and get it all over in four or five years? Or did she have one a year for 20 years, uh, 10 years, you know? I don't know. But I do feel a little sorry for her. She had to go through all that again after her kids were adults to now start having a bunch of kids again. But... Um, But Job treated his daughters with fairness. He gave his daughters an inheritance which was thousands of years ahead of his time. Literally, our country didn't do that. When my grandpa was born, his mother couldn't even vote. When I was born, my mother could not have a bank account in her own name. Just her name. And yet Job did that. How many years ago? About 4,000 years ago. I want you to look on the screen. I put a little chart here that has the uh, antediluvians, the people who lived before the flood. And I know you're going to have trouble reading it. uh, But look on the chart. It starts with Adam and he lived 930 years. and, And these are really bright colors just so I can tell a difference between them. But I actually can't right now. But... That's okay. You see the box down there toward the bottom? Uh, That's Nahor and Terah and Abram who became Abraham. Abraham and his dad, Terah, and his grandpa, Nahor. And so those are the guys who they were already not living as long as Job lived. Because look at verse uh, 16. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. After this, he lived 140 more years. So Job probably lived before Abraham's grandpa. And so that was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 BC. Well, 4,000 years ago. So 2,000 years after creation and 2,000 years before Christ. That's probably the time period Job lived in. But Job is perhaps the greatest dad of all time because he trusted God completely in the absolute worst of circumstances. On the worst day of his life, he said, I'm going to bless God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to follow God. So what about you? What should we do? Well, men and boys, Be manly in the best biblical sense of the word. Every one of us, men, women, girls, boys, should be honorable. If God blesses you with wealth, use it wisely and trust God, not your portfolio. Pursue a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and intercede for others and try and influence them as Job did. And trust God with the circumstances of your life right now, knowing that It could get better or it could get worse. Could get a whole lot better, could get a whole lot worse. In one day, Job's life went from up here to down here. But he kept trusting God and his life eventually ended up up here. Way better than it had been before.
Do you think Job and his wife ever thanked God that they lost their 10 kids? Never, never. But I do think they rejoiced in the blessings of God with the 10 kids and the grandkids and the great grandkids. We have some great grandkids, but we don't have any great grandkids, you know. Um, uh, it's different. Kathy and I have been blessed to have 16 grandkids. None of them are adults yet. Uh, but some of you have great grandkids that are great greats, maybe. I don't know. But uh, Job got to see generations of his family. Now, after all that loss, he never thought he'd see that again. He thought he would die an old man alone. And he saw God blessed beyond his expectations. Will God do that in your life on earth? I don't know. Will he do it in your life? Yes. On earth or in heaven, he will do that in your life if you will trust him and follow him. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.